Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons podcast. I'm Joe, I'm your host, and um, sorry I missed, I think I only missed one podcast, also missed a couple of recaps and whatnot. Just finished up the semester at school, so I was just doing other things. I still watched the games that I missed, um, I had to watch the Spurs one on replay, but uh, yeah, so I still watched them, so I'm still totally up to date, just I didn't write about a couple of them. So, yeah, but now that the semester's over for, like, what, a month now until next semester starts, uh, I'm going to have more time, and we'll be churning out some content like crazy, so that's good. Um, As far as the Pistons go, of course, uh, (laughs) things are not going as well as they were um, last time we met. Of course, they're now now on a four-game losing streak, having lost to the Wizards, Sixers, Spurs, and Bucks all in a row. And then it doesn't get any easier as they go to as they come home to play against Golden State and then Boston and Denver. But really, Boston and Golden State are the tough ones there. Uh, and yeah, so there was a game last night. Of course, they played and lost to the Bucks um, by a score of one hundred four to one hundred. Uh, just it was a rough game. Obviously, just to lose one like that. Um, it's just, it's rough, obviously. Um, he, it's, you know, the thing that's particularly frustrating about this stretch, I suppose, is that I'm, that game, last night's game, incredibly close, that Spurs game, incredibly close, and that Sixers game, incredibly close. The Wizards game wasn't really all that close. But, um, you know, they lose three straight games that are just really, really close games, and that's one big reason why it's not necessarily time to panic yet is that sometimes you lose close games and uh it makes it frustrating but there's sort of something within that that um sort of shows what's sort of going on right now I think um and we'll get into that a little bit later but as far as last night goes you know the only reason that it's worrying I I said this after the I can't remember did I recap the Spurs game? I don't think I did recap the Spurs game, but I don't remember exactly. But the main thing that's worrying about losing the game last night is that um, is that that's the fourth loss in a row. Uh, in a vacuum, so to speak, last night, that's not something that bothers me or hurts me. The Bucks are a good team, Pistons on the road. They just barely lost the game. And, you know, just when that's the situation, that's not, I'm not going to get, torn up by that, I guess, if that makes sense. And there were really some good things. I mean, Andre Drummond continues to just absolutely own the Bucks. He's an absolute nightmare for them. Uh, finished last night with 27 points, 20 rebounds. Only took him, I believe, what did it take him, 20 equivalents to get to those 27 points. Also had six assists with just one turnover, which was really good to see. Um, well, I was actually going to bring this up. Let me bring this up a sec. Um... Over the last bit of time, he's really he's really been playing great. Um, and uh, where is it? There it is. Um, so, and a big part of it is that he clearly is starting to get a little bit more comfortable um, passing the ball. And so it was something people have brought up a bunch this year. Whenever you bring up Andre Drummond's vastly improved passing is a lot of people have said, yeah, well, yeah, but, you know, his assists are way up. So, like, they're like, well, he's 
increased his, his, or his turnovers are way up. So it's like, well, his assists are way up, but so are his turnovers. And while, first off, even, even like a couple weeks ago, it wasn't that good of an argument because his, his turnovers have over doubled and his assists have over tripled. So he still increased his assists by more than he's increased his turnovers. So he's, you know, and that's, and he's doing that, um, at a, uh, will be the way to say it. Um, while, while even though this is his first year where he's really been asked to do that a lot, once again, I mean, it's something I've talked about a ton, uh, really for the last two years is that Andre Drummond has shown an ability to pass when he's put in situations to do so. But, um, it's, uh, what the problem is that he just hasn't been in that situation very often when they post him up, no one ever bothered to double team him rightfully so. And um, pretty much the only other, I mean, he'd sometimes get, they'd let him do dribble handoffs with KCP occasionally, uh, but they never really used him at the elbows. The only other time he'd get the ball in a potential position to really make plays would be if he would get the ball rolling to the hoop. But whenever he gets the ball rolling to the hoop in space, he's pretty much trying to dunk it or lay it in. And that's what he should be doing because that's what he's really good at that. So, you know, there's there just he hasn't really had much opportunity. But even though he's shown the ability to pass before, it's uh it's not it's not something he's had to do so much. And so when you do the, when you add something such a big extra hmm, what's the what's the right word? Um load. People gave me crap for saying that Reggie Jackson had such a huge load after the last podcast. Get your minds out of the gutter. But when you when you add on such a load to a guy like that, you would almost expect his turnovers to increase more than his assists, but his assists have increased more than his turnovers. And it's really become a lot more stark recently. So for the season, he's up to four assists per game, which, wow, who the frick have thunk that? He's up to four assists per game on the season. He's second on the team in assists per game um, against 3.1 turnovers, which, as a big man, that's really that's really quite good. Uh, there's simply put, there's no other, there's no other way to put that. That's really good for a big man. Um, I've explained this before, but I'll just, I'll say it again, I suppose. Um, is that one thing with his turnovers that a lot of people have brought it up. And one thing that's in, that's important to remember with his turnovers is that big men are going to like true big men. Obviously there's someone like, you know, LeBron James or whatever, where they're, they're, or Giannis Antetokounmpo, where they're big, but they're not, they're not big men. Um, a true, true big men who, who operate as, you know, quote unquote point centers. Um, they have, they're generally going to have a higher turnover total compared to their assists than like point guards will, for instance. And, uh, a big re- it's really twofold. So first off is the nature of the passes that they tend to make. And uh, a big part of that is because so so oftentimes with any guy who's a point center, a lot of the passes they make are two guys who are cutting to the hoop, right? And so when those guys are moving full speed and there's generally a defender right behind them, so you have to really kind of zip it to them. And... Uh, the problem is that if the ball, even if it's a good pass, if the receiver of the ball can't handle it, um, it it usually ends up getting recorded as a turnover for the passer. And just simply put, it's a lot more likely to get mishandled on those sorts of plays where um, 
you know, the the uh, the receiver of the pass is moving really fast towards the hoop with a defender right on his tail than it is, for instance, you know, Reggie Jackson driving into the paint and kicking out to a standstill shooter. Um, it's just so it's more likely that the turnover is going to be put on Andre as opposed to, you know, who Avery Bradley or whoever it might be that's cutting to the hoop. And uh, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is that a true big men who are like, you know, they're in the paint a lot. When you're in the paint a lot, you're in crowded areas, you're going to have a pretty good chance of getting the ball stripped. And particularly when you're Andre Drummond, who has the ball in the paint a ton. Uh, he's, I don't remember for sure. I should probably look it up, but I'm not going to bother to. I think he may be leading the league in points in the paint this year, although that might not be true. He might be. He's very high in that number, though, at least. He's one of the highest points in the paint guys, <laughs> points in the paint guys in the NBA. So he's got the ball in there a lot, and so he gets it stripped sometimes. And while they really should count them as blocks, sometimes they get counted as turnovers. So regardless of anything else, big men who do a lot of passing are going to tend to have um, a higher turnover total compared to their assists. So like just as a comparison, okay, Nikola Jokic, who's being widely regarded already as one of the best passing bigs ever, and that's not incorrect to say, by the way. He That guy is really impressive. He is he averages four point six assists and two point two turnovers per game, which is obviously only barely over a, a two point assist to turnover ratio, and you know for a point guard that's a pretty meh sort of ratio. Like it's decent, but nothing special. But as a big man, that's really impressive. So um, that's one thing. But on that note, this is actually the point I was trying to make, and I got sidetracked. Um, over the last seven games, which is this really rough stretch, so it's back starting with uh, the game against um, OKC, where they just barely won. That's the last seven. That is seven, right? Yeah, seven. So over this really tough stretch, Andre Drummond has really been playing well. And so here's his stat line. He's averaging 17.4 points, 15.1 rebounds, 5.3 assists against 2.6 turnovers. That 5.3 assists against 2.6 turnovers is awesome. And also, I'd like to note, Andre Drummond leads the Pistons in assists over that time. So, um, obviously, it's like, I'm not saying that he's going to keep up that pace, but um, he definitely looks like he's getting a little bit more comfortable in the role. He's starting to turn the ball over less. He's getting more assists. I don't know if it will keep up, but He's certainly been doing that against good competition. I mean, that's the whole point of this recent stretch is that it's as tough a stretch the Pistons are going to play all year. Um, it's probably as tough a stretch as any team is going to play in the entire NBA, quite frankly. Obviously, I'm not going to go double-check every single team to see, you know, I'm not going to compare everybody's uh, schedule, but it's definitely a very, very difficult stretch by any standards. And he's really shown out. And I guess within that is that he really is starting, not starting, he's started this already. But this season, he really is looking like a guy who is a legit franchise player. And I've, I, so look, I've always sort of, you know, quote unquote, believed in Andre Drummond. Um, I, I stuck, I stuck on, I was on, um, you know, Andre Drummond's ship, or island, whatever you want to call it. Everyone called it DM Wager's Island, so we could call it Andre Drummond Island if we wanted. Drum Island, one piece. <laughs> but um, I never really jumped off that ship, but 
with it, the reason I never jumped off of it is because I s- looked at him and I saw all the potential, and I thought he was going to get there. The um, the thing is, he hadn't been there yet, though. And this year, he's really looking like he's made that step. There's still areas where he can improve, of course, but it looks like he's made the step from being guy who you look at and you go, this guy is good, but he's got tons of potential to become that franchise player to where it's like he can still improve, but he is good enough now that he is that sort of franchise player type of guy. And that's a huge a huge thing for the Pistons as an organization and also for him. Um, obviously, they're paying him to be that kind of a guy, and he's starting to do that. So, you know, really, if there's one good thing to take from this recent stretch, um, really, there's two things. One would be... Um, you know, you could sort of wrap it up into one thing, I suppose, is that the Pistons' big three of Drummond, Jackson, and Harris have really showed out. Um, the reason the Pistons have lost those games is actually because some of the role players who have been playing well started to play a little less well, and it isn't because their most important three players started to fall off a cliff. So, like, it isn't like... It isn't that Reggie Jackson has declined from you know career best efficiency ratings. It isn't that Tobias Harris has 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 crashed down to earth with his three point shooting. It isn't that Andre Drummond has forgot how to shoot free throws again or something like that. Those three guys have been showing out over this stretch. So once again, we'll just go with it. Over those seven games, Tobias Harris is averaging twenty points per game, shooting fifty four percent from the field, forty four percent from three. Averaging also averaging just under six rebounds, one assist per game. Reggie Jackson, 19 points per game, shooting 54% from the field, 37% from three, with 4.4 assists. And then I already said Andre Drummond's line. So, and we'll get into some of the other stuff as to why the losing streak is happening and whatnot. But at the very least, the good thing to take from it is that those three guys have stepped up and continue to look like the real deal. And that's really, it's a really good news for the Pistons. Um, other things from last night, uh, I really, I continue to be really impressed by Luke Kennard. Um, his efficiency wasn't great last night, obviously. Uh, he had six points on eight equivalents, but he, that dude can play. I've just pretty much, I've, <laughs> there's no way around it at this point. That dude can play, he can shoot. Uh, that one, the three he hit last night, that's just like, there's not a lot of guys who could do that, where he just kind of caught the ball. He ended up just sort of at a dead stop above the arc. He was just kind of standing there. The defender was uh, like a step too far back, and he was like, screw it, I'm going to shoot. And he did, and he hit it. So I'm really impressed with him. I don't want to hear about Donovan Mitchell. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to hear about it. Luke Kennard is good. I'm going to judge Luke Kennard by what Luke Kennard does, not by what Donovan Mitchell does, just simply put. Um so, yeah, rough rough to lose last night, but, um, you know, in, its, in, a sh- in a vacuum, the game last night isn't a big worry. The thing that's a worry is that, um, is that um, it's the fourth loss. Uh, the one thing beyond that that has been a little bit of a trend recently, though, is the play of the bench. And last night the bench got beaten badly. I think most of them went like negative 10 or something. Most of the starters were well in the positives. And that's a problem for the Pistons because a big driving force of their success this season 
has been that their bench has absolutely slaughtered people for the most part. And that has started to be less true over the last several games. Now, once again, part of that is just better competition. Unsurprisingly, good teams oftentimes have better benches, which off, which is going to result in it being harder to, for the Pistons bench to just absolutely run them out of the building. But the one thing that's a little bit worrying to me, and this is going to be something to watch going forward, is I wonder if teams are sort of figured out Ishmith to an extent. I mean, to say that they figured him out is not really fair because it's not like he's new to the league or anything like that. But I think that people, it's so like painfully obvious what his weakness is, and that is because he can't shoot and just in general isn't a good scorer, because of that, you have to make him play in the half court. You have to keep him from getting out in transition or even the sort of semi-transition opportunities. You have to make them stop and set up and actually run sets because when they have to do that, they really don't have any good creation. Luke Kennard can do a little bit for himself. Ishmith has bouts of it. But really, that's not what that bench mob is built to do. They're not good at it. And I think that to an extent, I'm a little worried that going forwards, teams are just going to they're going to harp on it so much to their bench guys that when Ishmith is on the floor, we abandon offensive rebounding and you hustle your butt back. Because if you do that, they can't score. And if the, if teams are able to consistently do that, then basically the only hope for that bench mob is that they just shoot themselves out of the problem, which I mentioned this in my recap last night, that you know with Luke Kennard, Anthony Tolliver, and then oftentimes Langston Galloway, um, even though he didn't play last night for some reason, I'm not sure why, but you know, with those three guys, those are all dudes who can really shoot, and they're high-volume shooters too. Um, with those three guys, it's going to happen sometimes where they just shoot so well that they make it work. But that's not, you don't want to have to hope basically that, well, you've got some good shooters and they're just going to shoot lights out. Because when you have a night where that doesn't happen, then you're going to have an issue. So, like last night, um, Anthony Tolliver missed a bunch of shots. Uh, Luke Kennard looked fine. And Langston Galloway didn't even play. And when you have that happen, then suddenly it looks a lot less viable. So, um, obviously, even if teams start to really key on Ish as far as his transition game, it's it's easier said than done to keep him out of transition. Like, the guy is just so fast. So I'm not that worried about it long term, but it's going to be something to watch going forwards because um, that could be the difference in a few different games if teams are able to get back on defense consistently on a few more possessions, then that's going to be a few less points per game for the Pistons. And, you know, when you have these close games, it's things like that that make the difference, is that there's a couple more possessions where they get back on defense and they keep Ishmith out of transition. And, yeah, so in no way should this be viewed as a, I don't know how Ishmith is going to do long-term or anything like that. Ishmith is a really good player, one of the better backup point guards in the NBA, and I still really like this bench mob. I'll like it a lot better when John Luer comes back. But the fact is, it is a glaring weakness, and it's something to just watch going forwards to see um, if the bench can get back to their previous dominance. And I suppose just because we're, I already mentioned him, just to get right into it, um, with Eric Moreland, um, he's, he's sort of, you know, funnily become a pretty polarizing player on the Pistons recently. There's some people who really like him. There's some people who really do not like him. Um, 
On him, I'm pretty neutral about it. Uh, on one hand, no, he's not. I do not think he's ideal to be playing, you know, all the backup center minutes. Uh, but I think that as a third center, he's fine, and that's what he is. He's only playing because Lure's injured. Um, and the reality is when you have a guy like that, where it's like you pull him off the bargain, out of the bargain bin, and he's your, he's not, he's not, you're not planning on him being a regular rotation piece. He's a guy who fills him with injuries or, um, or foul trouble, basically. And for a guy like that, he's, he's done fine. Honestly, he's done mostly what I would expect him to do. And then some, um, when you have a guy in a situation like that, what you hope for is that at least occasionally they provide positives and hopefully most of the time they're not huge negatives. That's what you hope for. Last night he was a big negative. It was a terrible game for him. But for the most part, he sort of trends somewhere between being mediocre about. Then he'll have occasional spurts where his energy will just create great things, whether that's with blocks or getting some offensive rebounds and such. And as a result of that, he mostly comes out to being at a point where you look at it and you go, if that's your third center who's only playing because of injuries, I mean, I'm not going to complain about it. That said, I definitely want John Luer to be playing once he gets back. I think John Luer is a whole lot better than Eric Moreland is. And I think that that will help the bench mob an awful lot when Luer gets back. Um, and also, I, I'm still pretty much in the camp that I want Boban to get a shot I just, I do. It's just the reality. I want that guy to get a chance to do his thing. Um, I don't care if he has to defend quicker, smaller guys. They have to defend him on the other end. So I, that's that's honestly, that's kind of one thing that um, has frustrated me about Stan Van Gundy's coaching over the years. Uh, most consistently frustrated me, at least, is that he's, he consistently lets other teams dictate matchups to him. And he's not very willing to dictate, try and dictate matchups to other teams. So, and I'm Boban is a great example of it right now. Is that it's like he always says, "Well, we don't know what to do with him defensively." It's like if you put some, if they put, so like last night, okay, I'm sure that what I don't actually know. I didn't even watch his press conference. I probably should do that, but you know, I'm sure that if someone had asked him, or if they did ask him, what he would say is, "Well, we didn't play Boban last night because the Bucks." Um, backup center is is Thon Maker, and he goes out to the perimeter. He's a fast guy. We don't know how, if we don't think Bobom would really be able to hang with him. And then you, but then you have to remember, Thon Maker would have to freaking guard Bobon on the other end. Like <laughs> that would be a abs that'd be child abuse if Thon Maker wasn't actually thirty years old. Like I just I I want to see what can happen because I think there's a decent chance that in a lot of those matchups. Bobom will give just as good as he gets, and it'll be fine. I want Stan Van Gundy to try and dictate matchups to other teams occasionally, and it seems to be something he's not very willing to do, and that's frustrating. Um, within that, though, I guess the overall point is Eric Moreland is fine. He's your third center, but remember, he is your third center. You don't want him. I don't think you want him playing over, over, uh, over Lure once Lure gets back. So... Um, yeah, so within all of this is just sort of what is going on exactly that's caused this recent skid for the Pistons. Um, first and foremost, as been mentioned countless times at this point, tough schedule. It happens. 
you know, it's going to happen over the course of a season. You're going to have a stretch where you play a bunch of good teams. Um, the Cavs right now are winning a bunch of games, and that's because the Cavs haven't played a playoff team in like three weeks or something. Um, <laughs> that's not true. They played the they played the Pistons, but like they haven't played hardly any good teams over this stretch. So like they have wins over Dallas, New York, Charlotte, Clippers, Detroit, <laughs> Brooklyn, Charlotte again, Philly. Miami, Atlanta, Memphis, Chicago, and then last night they beat Sacramento. Literally, the Pistons and the Sixers are the two toughest games that they played in that stretch. And the Pistons, obviously, was kind of a schedule loss. I mean, but regardless, even within that, that was an absolute drubbing. Which, you know, there's something ironic to the fact that the Pistons and Sixers Definitely the best teams they played in that stretch, and those are the two biggest wins they have during, they that they had in that in this winning streak. But you know they're just winning all these games. People are like, oh, they've really found their stride, and there is some truth to that. The Cavs have definitely started to find their stride. I'm not arguing with that, but there's a big part of it that it's just they haven't played anyone good in forever, and that's going to continue for a while for them. Actually, they're kind of their schedule coming up is they play Indiana, Philly again, Atlanta. Lakers, and then they play Utah and Washington. They start to actually play some teams again. But, <laughs> you know, you have stretches of both. The Pistons have had overall a very difficult schedule this year, and they're in an incredibly tough stretch right now. So that is first and foremost it. But beyond that, um, a big part, I think, is that there's a few things with the sort of the role players on the team that have played a little bit worse than they were before. So... Like, just as a, for instance, one thing is, they're shooting just, no, <laughs> once again, the thing that's funny is the guy that you expected to regress hard, Tobias Harris, actually hasn't, but, so for instance, Avery Bradley is now down to shooting 40% from three, Langston Galloway is down to 37% from three, Stanley Johnson's down below 30% from three, over this stretch of games, if I can bring it up, which I can, over the seven game stretch um, Anthony Tolliver shooting 33%, Langston Galloway shooting 30%, Avery Bradley shooting 30%, and Stanley Johnson is shooting 30% from three. So, when it's all three of those, all four of those guys, four of those guys, four of those guys. Now, obviously for Stanley Johnson, that's not necessarily a huge decrease, um, but for all four of those guys, the fact that they're all shooting worse from three, the end result is there's like, what, two, maybe three shots per game from deep that instead of being hits, are now misses. And it's those little things that turn close wins into close losses. And so, you know, so you lose a couple of really close games in a row, or three really close games in a row, that's the thing you look to, is that just upon a basic eye test, I didn't see anything about it that suggests that the Pistons are necessarily playing that much worse, they're generating worse looks, or anything like that. I think it's just a matter of, a bunch of their role players were playing really, really well, and now they're starting to regress a little bit. I don't think it's going to be disaster-level regression, because, like, I don't think Avery... There's no reason to expect Avery Bradley or Galloway or Tolliver to regress super hard from where they were already. They're about in, in the range that you'd expect them to be in shooting from deep. But there was a bit of regression that was probably going to come for them, Unfortunately, they all happened at the same time, and it means a few less points per game. And then within that is just sort of, um, 
honestly just you can say that with a lot of the team honestly is that there's just it's like look at the way I'm what I talked about with Ishmith getting into transition I think teams are a little bit more prepared for it they're a little bit more like this is an absolute must so even though Ish is going to get some buckets in transition he's just too fast too quick to stop and every time but so a few more possessions per game because it's really a focus for the bench guys a few more possessions per game they're getting back on defense and making the Pistons bench play in the half court, which means a few extra possessions per game that's happening, which means a couple extra possessions per game where the Pistons are going to not score. So you combine the fact that they're shooting worse from three, the bench is maybe getting contained a little bit, and it's just a couple extra, you know, three or four possessions per game where the Pistons are not getting buckets where they were before. And that is the difference between close wins and close losses. I mean, that's something that always just in general. People don't seem to appreciate enough, I think, in the NBA, is just how small the margins are between most teams. And things like that are oftentimes the difference. So um, anyone who's like, oh, is this time to panic, i definitely say no. Even if the Pistons lose their next three. I mean, at that point, it'd be time to be worried because that would be, what, a seven-game losing streak? But... Even if they lose the next three, if they bounce back and win a bunch of games against the bad teams when they have a stretch of teams. And so they'll have seven games in a row after that Nuggets game where the only playoff team, well, currently positioned playoff team, that they'll play are the Indiana Pacers. And they'll get them at home, and they won't be on a back-to-back or anything. They'll be well-rested for that game. They'll go to the Hawks. Well, they, they play the Pacers twice, actually. They'll go to the Hawks, to the Pacers, host the Magic, to Dallas, host the Knicks, host the Pacers, go to the Magic. That's a stretch against a bunch of teams that they should beat. So uh, no matter what happens, even if they lose close games against all three of those teams coming up against the Warriors, Celtics, and Nuggets, if they turn around and win a bunch of games against bad teams, I'm not going to be worried about it. Um, Hopefully they win at least one of these games. Hopefully they can get two. They are all at home. So I think that they should be able to get two. I I think the Nuggets are... The Pistons are a bad matchup for the Nuggets. Um, I guess we could just go right into that game, the game that they'll be playing next, which is against the Warriors. Um, I'd be surprised if the Pistons won, um, admittedly mostly because of the fact that um, <laughs> just the Pistons already beat the Warriors once. Uh, the good news is that Steph Curry is going to be out, um, which, you know, I not... I should clarify, I'm not advocating that I want players to get hurt. Okay, just want to get that out there. But for the Pistons specifically, the good news is that Steph Curry is hurt. Um, the bad news is that they still have Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Um, without Steph Curry, it does take away a pretty sig- I mean, that's a He's a significant part of that team, man. Like I, I honestly think Kevin Durant is better than Steph Curry. But, you know... <laughs> It's so it's so stupid. They've got it should be illegal to have that many good players on one team. But without him, I think that it will make them a little bit more vulnerable, particularly given that they haven't exactly been playing their sharpest ball so far this year. And um the only thing that worries me a little bit about it is that within that, so the Warriors, I it's not exactly a secret. They're only 20 and <laughs> Only they're twenty and six so far this year, um, 
they're not exactly playing the sharpest ball that they have that they're capable of. And everybody knows that. It's entirely, it's completely obvious to everybody, okay? Everyone can tell. Uh, I'm a little bit worried that perhaps um, Steph Curry getting hurt is going to result in everybody sort of really going, oh, right, we need to, we need to get ourselves going. And, you know, sort of sharpening everybody up a little bit and then, ergo, resulting in them really starting to play well. Um, that kind of happened last year when Kevin Durant got hurt, I think. Um, a lot of people seem to agree with that sort of narrative. I mostly buy into it that Kevin Durant got hurt, and it sort of just caused everybody to really get um, really get going because they're like, oh, Kevin's hurt. We really need to get going. We, we've all got to step up. Um, also, apparently, Dray- I didn't even realize this. I only just saw this here. Draymond Green apparently sat out the last game with a sore shoulder. And it is undetermined if he will suit up against the Pistons on Friday. I'd be surprised if he didn't play, I suppose, but I don't actually know for sure. Um, but, I mean, I'd be surprised if the Pistons won, just because they already beat the Warriors once, so the Warriors will be looking for some blood. Um, the Pistons have actually beat the Warriors probably... I don't know for sure. I would actually not be surprised. The Pistons... Have, well, they've only played them. They only play them two times a year, so that might be different, but... They play. They beat the Warriors um, once two years ago, and then they beat them this year once. I'm not sure. There's a lot of teams who could say that they beat the Warriors twice in the last few years, other than obviously the Cavs can. Um, non-playoff teams, I suppose, I could say they beat the Warriors twice in the last three years. Um, but I, I just, I'd be surprised. There's some problems for them. But I, Stanley Johnson can defend Kevin Durant to a certain extent. Durant can shoot over him, but I'm. That's one of the reasons Durant is so good is he can just shoot over people because he's so freaking tall. Um, one good thing about Steph Curry being out is that it will let uh, Avery Bradley take Clay Thompson, and so then Reggie Jackson can stay on. I'm, I presume Sean Livingston will be starting, I assume. I'll double-check that. They didn't actually start. Wow. <laughs> was this last night? Yeah, it was. Last night they started Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Quinn Cook, Jordan Bell, and Zaza Pachulia. So I guess they're pretty committed to having Livingston be off the bench. But regardless, you can have Avery, Avery Bradley guard Clay Thompson because even though because Reggie Jackson's big, it lets him have a better chance against a guy like Clay Thompson. The reality is that I'm, that's a tough guard for anybody, obviously, but it's a particularly tough guard for Reggie Jackson, a guy who his his biggest weakness defensively is that even within this this year's version of Reggie Jackson, who's playing a lot harder and playing a lot better, his biggest weakness is still that he doesn't necessarily have great speed and acceleration. Like that's not what he's awesome at. And he still sometimes nav- struggles to navigate screens, and obviously, almost all of the all of Clay Thompson's offense is sprinting around screens continuously the entire game. So that makes it a little rough for Reggie Jackson to guard him. So Reggie Jackson will guard, I guess, Quinn Cook. I guess Quinn Cook is is he a point guard? I don't even know who Quinn Cook is. I'll be honest. Yeah, looks like he's a point guard. So I guess that he'd be guarding him. Um, yeah, Quinn Cook is a point guard who's played in 18 career games. So, I have no idea where they... I literally had no idea who the, he was. He went to Duke. 
I should. I guess I should, probably should know who he was. He also went to Oak Hill. Um, so I guess I probably should know who he is. Maybe I do know who he is. I just forgot. But regardless, it'll let Reggie Jackson not have to guard Clay Thompson, which should be um, good for the Pistons defensively. And um, if Draymond Green's out too, then I'd definitely give the Pistons a chance just because it will um, it will sort of... That's enough... That's enough of a decrease where you can't just say, well, they're going to have the three best players on the floor still. And the fact still remains, Andre Drummond is a huge problem for the Warriors because he's big enough to hurt their small ball, and he's fast enough that he can stick with their small ball units on the defensive end. So he's still a huge problem for the Warriors, and I think that the Pistons will have some shot. I'd still be surprised if they won. Um, I'd I'd guess that they're going to win at least one of these three at home. And the reality is that if they do, you'll have to live with it and be okay with it. Um, I said this in my recap, but if you look at, if you take this as a 10-game stretch, so you go back to that Thunder game, Thunder, Celtics, Suns, Wizards, Sixers, Spurs, Bucks, Warriors, Celtics, Nuggets, okay? You count that as a 10-game stretch. Obviously, the Phoenix game, Phoenix game was not a tough game, but we'll still count it as a part of it, okay? If the Pistons win one of those games, they go 4-6 and six on the toughest stretch of the season for them. I'd live with that. The reality is, if they can get two of them, they go 5-5 five and five on it. And once again, I can live with that. So, um, yeah, I think that they're going to be fine. I'm not that worried about it. Even if they lose the next couple of games, uh, they should be able to bounce back and get on track. The main thing is that some of the role players need to find their games back, really. And the good news is, though, that their big three guys have really continued to play well and have not let up at all so that's it for today um stay safe everybody it started to snow today i saw this morning when i was out uh driving getting some breakfast and uh yeah so winter has come and that means that it is fully basketball season it is time to stop doing things like going outside and interacting with other humans it's time to stay inside and watch basketball the way god intended so that's that um stay beautiful everybody and uh yeah go pistons